And, and it's funny, right? It's hilarious, and we laugh at it. The reason why we laughed at it is because we've experienced it, that voice of self-incrimination. And it happens to us. Many of us think we're doing God a favor by criticizing ourselves. We think, like, yeah, we, God would approve of my thought, these idiot, I'm so dumb, I'm so stupid, are you kidding me? Why? Because we don't like the things about ourselves. Why? I have a question. Why would you think that that's a healthy spiritual thing to do in your life? To think of yourself in that way. Teresa of Lussex said this, if you're willing to bear serenely the trial of being yourself, then you will be for Jesus a pleasant place of shelter. Serenely bear trial of your faults and failures. Do you think that raging against them like Chris Farley does will do anything but embolden them? When we rage against ourselves, we create an inhospitable environment from the one who can deliver us from ourselves. So, growth is contested by these demon demons, demon snatching birds. But it's also, there's two other areas where growth is contested. And the second one is superficiality. Superficiality. Being as broad as an ocean and deep as a puddle. So verse 13 says this. And can you help me in the back because I lost my iPad. Those on the rocky ground are the, are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. When they believe for a little while, they believe for a little while, and then in, in the time of testing, they fall away. When Jesus was on his way to his time of testing, the cross and suffering, the closer he got to the cross, do you realize the fewer disciples he had left? The fewer disciples. And the funny thing is about that is everybody believes in the cross. We sing songs about the cross, right? But the cross is not just an event to believe in. It is a path to walk in as Christians. It's a path to walk in. And sometimes we forget about that. The joy and comfort of believing must be combined with the sacrifice of following. The willingness to endure hardship for a greater good. Uh, there was a Japanese, Japanese seashore village a hundred years ago where... Um, they, they had planted, they had rice fields all over, but the shipping, this village on the shipping, as well as uh, uh, fishing, little, small little village, a couple, maybe 2,000 people. Well, um, there was this earthquake, and everybody noticed it, but then they went back to work. And there was an old man that lived up on the mountain, and he saw the sky getting dark, and he saw the darkness of the, the ocean out in the distance, and he knew exactly what that meant. They're going to get a big tidal wave coming towards the shore. And so he had an option. This was right after harvest season was there, and he had stacked up all his rice, okay? He had, all the stalks were cut, but he had them in these big piles. And he tried to yell to all the villagers, come up the mountain, but nobody could hear him. So he did the only thing he could think of in that moment to save 
some villagers, and he took a match. Well, not a match. He, he had fire. They didn't have matches back then. Um, but he lit his stalks of rice on fire. And he's willing to give his whole crop. And as he lit them on fire, the villagers saw the fires that were burning, and they ran up the hill to save his crops. Okay? So he did it specifically to have them come up and help him. And they did. He got up there, and uh, he was there, and these villagers are coming up the mountain, climbing up this steep mountain. And this swell struck the shore and ripped their homes apart like matchsticks. Um, and he said, this is why I set fire to all of my rice. And he saved over 400 people that day because of his sacrifice. But it took a sacrifice, right? And some people are not willing to journey with Jesus on the way to the cross. And it, it takes sacrifice on our part. Sometimes we just have to say, I, this isn't the most comfortable, but this is where God's calling me to be. We want to follow Christ without the cross. Without sacrifice. And it doesn't work. Christianity doesn't work without the cross in Jesus' life, and it doesn't work without the cross in our life. It doesn't. We, I, I really think we don't, the church doesn't need more belief in the cross as an event in history. We already believe, don't we? What we need is a willingness to walk in the path of the cross. And without that willingness, it's like uh, a spring morning with all these beautiful flowers, and they just fade in the mid noonday sun, right? That's what it's like. So are you avoiding the hardship, or are you enduring, enduring it? Are, if you're endure, enduring it, what you're doing is you're letting your roots go down deep into the soil that God is trying to stir in your life, where there's moisture, okay? So growth is contested by snatching demon birds, by superficiality, and the last one is by competing desires. Here is Luke uh, 8, verse 14. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So I have a question. What kind of culture are we living in? Consumer culture, right? And now consumer and culture, consumer culture is the engine that drives our economy. We hear about it every single day, right? If you watch the news, and it saturates our media, it messes with our hearts. Uh, do you know that the average American is exposed to thousands of ads every single day? Just the average American, they, they guesstimate around 4,000 a day. Um, and at the end of your life, if you're an average American, you will spend three years of your life watching TV ads, TV commercials. And all of these messages are designed to slip beneath your filters into our hearts. And what does it produce in us? I think it produces two things. One, we don't have enough, and I need that thing that they have over there. And the second thing it produces is an insatiable itch for more. I don't have enough, and I need more. 
Uh, there was this happiness survey, the study that was done. And in this study, it was really interesting. The, the, what they did is they took all these people and they said, what would you like more of in your life? What do you want to buy this next year? And how happy are you now? Okay, so they did, and they surveyed all these people. They took the same people a year later, and they brought them all together. They gave them another survey. 90% had bought the things that they wanted, and they thought they would be more happy with. And when, in the end, when they tested how happy they were, they had not moved. They were exactly the same. And so the fallacy is, if we get the stuff that we want that's, this ad, that's on this ad, we will be happier people, and it's all just a lie. It's all a lie. And um, it, it made no effect on their happiness. The effects of consumerism on the soul is ultimately what it, what it comes down to. It's competing desires, just like Weird Al Yankovic had competing desires with my heart and God's intention for my life. Friday, October 18, 1991, the Chicago Symphony was uh, having their 100th, uh, 100-year celebration. 100-year celebration. And so all the patrons over the years that had given a ton of money, they had this big banquet. Um, and they gave them this amazing buffet, this spread of food. They ate together, and they gave every one of the patrons this beautiful wind-up clock. And so they gave out these, all these clocks to the patrons that gave X amount or more. And then after dinner was ready, everybody went into the concert hall where they're going to hear the Chicago Symphony celebrating 100 years. So this is like the final, the pinnacle of 100 years. And as the music starts at 9.15 in the evening, um, everybody, everything seems perfect for about 10 minutes, and then all of a sudden the music starts to unravel. And the reason why is because there's a little beeping sound that came from the audience. And then another one, and then another one, and then another one. And what they had done during their meal was they wound up their clocks. So all the alarms are going off, at the 100-year celebration, okay? And the music literally came to a halt. Henry Fogel, the executive director of the symphony, walked onto stage and explained what happened. He said, anybody who wound up their clock during dinner, we ask, we're going to have ushers come and get all of your clocks to put them, we'll check them in and you can get them afterwards. And still people didn't want to check them in even though they knew that they were gonna, the alarms were going to go off. Because trivial things have great power to disrupt, disrupt what's important. Have you noticed that in your life, in my life? I've noticed it over and over again. We have competing desires. Just like, what was the purpose for that evening? It was beautiful music of the symphony. And the competing desire was this trivial clock that they received. We have competing desires. Seeds are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. Hear Jesus in Matthew 16, 26. What does it benefit you if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus asks. In Matthew 6, 33, Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and, you, and he will give you everything you need. Are we doing that? 
seek first the kingdom of God? Are we putting our souls first? Your spiritual life is the most important thing in your life. All of our life is important, but that is ultimately so important. And sometimes we're just letting our seed randomly go in our life. We're letting it fall wherever. So God loves the land and dirt. Genesis 1.11, God said, let the land, the earth, and dirt produce vegetation, and it was so. And God said, let the land, the earth, and dirt produce living creatures of every kind, and it was so. Because we too are created out of that dirt and commanded to tend the garden in Genesis 2.15. And from this land, this dirt, wheat is made for bread, and grapes are made for wine. And doesn't all that sound so old-fashioned? Guys, this is not hipster Christianity. This is as exciting as dirt. (laughs) And you guys, that's the point. That's the point that Jesus is making. Luke 8, 15. The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Produce a crop. So let me give you a couple practical tips today. Number one. Now this first one is difficult, but I would love you to join me in this. I'm going to try to do a month-long ad fast. Okay? And... Most of us think we're immune to the impact of advertising when we're we're simply acclimated to it. The only way to tell the difference and its influence over our lives uh, is to radically reduce the exposure for a month at least, right? And once it's off, assess the desire for material things. Do you feel less attached to the need of stuff? And so what affects does our consumer culture have on us? And partly, the only way to tell is to kind of wean yourself off of it a little bit and see, okay? So maybe I'm going to try to do this. If you want to do this with me, I'd love it, okay? Let's just see what effect that, uh, that has on us. Does the desire, the craving for more stuff go down a little bit? Because we're not exposing our hearts to that stuff so much. Number two. Take the IRS Schedule A Line 19 Challenge. John, what's that? (laughs) Well, consumerism is a pervasive spiritual influence of our time. So let's challenge ourselves on something that's really challenging. Dig out your tax returns. Go to Schedule A Line 19 Charitable Contributions. The tradition of giving in the Bible is a tenth. The average charitable contribution in the U.S. is 2.2%. And I think we'd all agree that a reliable measure of the kingdom in a person's heart is generosity. Wouldn't there be a measurable difference between average generosity and kingdom generosity? Where are you with kingdom generosity? I want you to know we are super generous church. You guys are so generous. But we can always challenge ourselves to give even more. Stretch yourself. Give a little bit more. You guys, I think of all the things in the Bible that are like difficult teachings of Jesus, like turning the other cheek or loving our enemies. Like the idea of 
being generous is like what I would consider low-hanging fruit. It's really simple. And so ask yourself, is, are you there? What do you, how do you manage being generous or not? It's a great question to ask yourself. Okay, and the last one, uh, learn to distinguish between the dove and the crow. Two bird metaphors in the Gospels, the spirit resting on Jesus as a dove and these demon birds. Two birds, two hovering presences, two voices. To grow, you need to learn to distinguish between these two voices. The dove sounds like, I'm here. You can do this. God delights in you. You are my son. You are my daughter. And whom I love. Let's go. And the demon birds sound like Chris Farley. It's angry. It's shrill. It's punishing. I'm good enough. I'm not smart enough. Right? No. So take a week to simply notice the tone of the thoughts in your head and ask for God's discernment. Are these God's thoughts? Are they like the enemy's thoughts? Because the enemy would love to snatch and steal every bit of seed that God is trying to deposit into your heart and life. Every bit. Okay, let's all stand.